This is episode one of Tales from Great Shale, a podcast featuring one-of-a-kind stories from the universe of the upcoming Great Shale Chronicles series of novels. I am your host, Simon Orrington. This time we are stepping into the life of Gowan Dodge, a foreigner who has yet to find his footing in a tale I like to call Greater Than Destiny. Let us begin. The iridescent crystal was no taller than his hand and only the width of two fingers. As he moved forward, the mode of light within grew in its intensity, from a dull sapphire to the pale gleam of a distant star. Upon the pedestal it rested, not secured in any fashion, merely perched as one might comfortably sit upon a fence. In like manner, the runes carved into the spire underneath gave no clue as to its origin as they read. May your heart guide you to the grand purpose of your design. Because that wasn't vague. What is this thing? he groused. Clear, dark eyes moved from him and settled on the object of his inquiry. In a level tenor, she explained, That, Gowan, is a luminary. You see, somewhere between here and your heart, there is a fixture where the location of your desires and the existence of your being meet. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't meet. This gruff commentary failed to break her stride. She continued, This is a guidance stone that may point you to its true north. Whatever that means. He regarded her, flat-browed, and judged her attitude. Her confidence was acquired with knowledge of fact that did not always require evidence. It was her faith, and no one could tell her otherwise. I think that's bull, he grumbled, then clapped his mouth shut. No profanity. He turned and beheld the smug smile atop that sleek dancer's body, clothed in figure-hugging fabrics under a veil of black cloak. She practically goaded him with the idea of having to find something else to say. So what? It wasn't so difficult to figure out. So he told her, I think that's a steaming pile of shiso dung. Uncomfortable with reality you can't explain? She queried with a smirk. Me? Science is a theory for everything, girl. The very first thing you learn in quantum theory is that all things are connected. He began, and remembered that they were almost equal in height, even though in so many ways she towered over him. Neither knew the first thing about the academics of string theory, but it sounded good. There was a deliberate, almost inviting sway of her hips as she strode toward him, leaned close and said, I think you're full of shy so dumb, Gowan. It's cute. Cute? She spun out of his reach just when he wanted to wrap his arms around her. Torchlight flickered in the semi-spherical hall of carved-out stone. Proof against invaders, Gowan recalled, and then said, I've been to a few places, and energy, the kind of energy that comes from emotion, is real. Emotion goes out like the rays of the sun's light, 
We feel it and it goes to a place. Our actions come from our desires and go to a place. No one knows where Black Thrall is? No, she said resolutely, and the words echoed soft against the smooth, unpainted walls. I don't believe that either. Everybody knows something. And what does that mean? He considered this. The statement had come unbidden, and so its logic wasn't immediately obvious. Was it counter to his beliefs? Not at all. He flicked thick-knuckled hands through the coarse locks of his coal-dark hair and said, If you told me that I'd be standing here with you a month ago, I'd have laughed myself sick. I don't believe one person knows everything, but everybody knows something. Blackthrall is a place, a physical place. Someone knows where it is. And if we don't know that person, what does that behoove us? She responded. Well, this wasn't getting him any closer to what he wanted to know. He sighed and closed the distance between them, nearer the entrance of the cavern. That inch difference in height bothered him, but what he really wanted was to be doing anything other than this. Eyes half-lidded, she chuckled and wordlessly agreed. Instead of speaking romantically, she said, You suggest that the Tien want this luminary because they think, as you do, that the Black Thrall is a physical place. Raven's namesake described her physical attributes aptly, particularly the features of her angular face. Eyes dark as gleaming obsidian were the only thing as round as her cheeks that arced straight down to her arrow, sharp chin. How was it that of the thousands of women in Sketchline was there not even one like her? Not one that he could impress anyway. Thousands of women and tens of thousands of men, hardly a favorable ratio, so blaming himself for that was kind of stupid. There you go again, thinking the fool of yourself, Raven breathed, and Gowan's heart thudded in his chest, pulse thunder in his ears. Everything ceased to matter but her, and had she given permission, he would have... But she definitely wouldn't, not with that expression on her face. Her respect for sanctity, the dignity of a holy place. She wouldn't so much as take off her hood in here, much less... So much for that pointless exercise of flirtation. Even so, you said I'm cute, he intoned. One side of her mouth lifted and she turned as if on wheels and said, Sometimes. The warmth he had begun to feel rapidly cooled as her mood shifted to their dramatic and serious purpose. The Tien were bent on finding any and every magical resource that wasn't glued down or claimed by a force strong enough to defend it. He'd read their rhetoric. They were self-proclaimed preservationists, but to him their manifesto stunk worse than dung. They were hoarders, and what was even worse, bad liars and poor sports. If they could use a tool to their advantage, so much the better for their cause. But if not, they locked it in a closet like some kind of taboo. He found it ironic. Back home he wasn't into dark skin. Dang it. Thinking like some kind of pleb again. 
Somewhere between her verdant personality and slender curves, she sent all the right hormones on boil. But caution, boy, she was not like the others. He was impatient, but so far, she was worth all of the effort. She wanted time, so fine. But damn, she was smoking, and it felt like whatever they had was getting hotter all the time. He couldn't be reckless, though. Everything he had depended on her. Down to business, then. So how did they find out where the temple was? Unrealistically thick waves of silver highlighted chalk black hair rolled from under her hood like stormy water and down along the sides of her large eyes and... Earth to Gowan, she was talking. He began to hear her as she said, A fortnight ago, Olgivian Smalder swore he did not know how they obtained the secreted glyph to its location. It was from that that they pieced together the lyric that describes this abode. Sure, he replied flatly. They approached the end of the cavern, which looked plain and impenetrable and she raised a hand at the head-sized single glyph on the wall, which then glowed like moonlight. When the light faded, the wall was gone, and beyond was a forest of hilltops, tender bushes, and caramel sunlight in a perfectly clear sky. I mean, of course, right? Raven flipped back her hood, and Gowan took in her radiance. That was new. She was pretty, but radiant. She looked back at him expectantly, and he balked, confused, for a moment. Then it dawned on him. He palmed his chrysalin and concentrated. When his hum was in his mind, he opened his eyes and caught sight of a large visual distortion a little ways off that uprooted trees and sent those adorable little bushes off on the wind. Looks like bad VFX to me, but I swore to protect you. You're doing this job, so here I am. Gowan said with a shrug. Tumultuous, he figured, and probably about half a mile off, but moving fast, like a sideways twister. Raven gauged the phenomenon as well, and centered in on its hinge point. She hoped to diffuse it, but could not find its sympathetic wavelength. What was the formula of this thing, and how had they manifested it? You're taking too long, Gowan warned her. It's gonna plow into us. Plow, she blinked, but the point had been made. She was taking too long. Gowan was moving about, almost jittering, and it made her teeth grate. With her arms akimbo, she cried, Stop your fussing! Fussing! He replied in disbelief. He thought about it and felt it. Shaking. He was shaking. Raven heaved a great sigh and found her still point. The calm was there, but Gowan was unschooled and understood nothing about it. So how had he manifested such a great force at the Seer Shrine? No use wondering, she supposed. He couldn't tell her about it anyway. Raven suspected that there was little chance that the distortion would threaten the Shrine on its own, and decided that there was even less chance that they would be harmed. She murmured an activation phrase under her breath that erected a wind-fueled barrier around them. If the distortion made contact, it would only feed the barrier. So much for that. Uh, Raven? Gowan's tone was small and high like a fidgeting child, 
and when she turned her head toward him, his gaze was directed at something off to their right. It was another distortion of precisely the same dimensions which moved at exactly the same rate. Gowan then pointed to another, and then another. In a matter of moments, they counted eight crawling gradually over the hills, clearing them of all brush and tree. As they watched, two of the circular distortions joined with a resounding snap. They did not change size, but increased intensity and clearing effectiveness. Raven's stomach abruptly felt like it was full of ice. We're gonna get aced if we stay here, Gowan grimaced. You sure you can't just bank them away? She probably could, but she wasn't sure if she should. Reflection would be more effective than... But if it was going to do damage, it would probably destroy one of the outlying towns or villages. There was another loud snap as two others unified. Just six now, but they were all angled to meet at the base of the mountain at the entrance to the shrine. By then they might well bore a hole right through its center. Perhaps they've decided they don't need the luminary, Raven thought aloud and Gowan nodded, trying to concentrate with the annoyingly loud hum in his head. What was his crystal trying to tell him? He slapped hands against his ears, and though it didn't help, Raven was prompted to ask, What is wrong, Gowan? I'm hearing this tone. It's getting louder all the time. Gowan, does it have a rhythm? A what? <laughs> you mean a beat? You gotta be... Wait... Gowan paused and listened. There were no bass tones, nor any sort of thumping that might denote a rhythm he would expect, but there was a change in volume, almost like a bell. As he concentrated on this, the sound became more distinct, like a crystal. Like someone was tapping a crystal with a tiny hammer. It wasn't distracting or painful, or even loud anymore. It was pretty and gentle. Gowan. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, sorry. Um, uh, it's like a bell. No, I mean crystal. Pretty high and kind to the ears, if you get what I mean. Exasperated with herself, she realized she hadn't told him exactly what she was looking for. She repeated, I need to know what the rhythm of the melody is. Does it have a melody? Well, no. Well, uh, actually, it does. Three notes. The rhythm is a mambo. A what? Raven puzzled over this, and as she did, her heart sank. How could he explain what a mambo was? Uh, oh, wait! Hurriedly, she said, Say it to me, in time with the sound. So he did. And fortunately for them, he could more than carry a tune in a bucket. Gowan's voice was clear, steady, and finely controlled. Raven's dour expression was enfolded by the bright light of recognition, and as she began to hear it in her own heart, she wrapped her arms around him and squealed with glee. You did it! What? He gasped under her tight grip. With an aghast look, she let go and stood back. She cleared her throat. Thank you, Gowan. Now I can do what I need to do. With a crimson red face, Gowan breathed. Sure you can. I know it. 
She was every bit as soft as she looked. But Gowan wasn't surprised by that. The way she felt, like sunlight amplified ten times over, was a feeling he would never forget. When she pulled their hinge points, they unraveled and their energy returned to the local ley lines. What was unspent, that is. Gowan watched her work in some kind of childish awe, and when she turned to him with an enormous smile, he said, So that was slick. We aren't dead. What are we going to do now? The fellow who sent those is probably gone. Gowan shrugged at this and said, What? Why? Would you stay when your big play was spent? Uh, no. Nor then should we. It seems like he still doesn't quite have his footing. Well, friends and fans, our time together has been brief, but I hope it has been enjoyable. There are many more tales to come, so I hope you will join us next time to hear more from the inhabitants of Great Shale. Feedbacks and comments can be directed by email to comments at talesofgreatshale.com. Would you like to hear more from Raven and Gowan? Let me know. We have many more people and stories to get to know, and your comments are welcome for each of them. Some will be chosen to be read and answered on the podcast, so submit your comments. If you would like more information about this podcast or the novel series, Great Shell Chronicles, please visit https www.talesofgreatshell.com. Until next time, all content for this episode was provided by Simon Woodington.